Welcome to The Positive Effect. My name's April Sobral, and I am the founder of RetailU.ca and the author of The Positive Effect, a retail leader's guide to changing the world. I've had an amazing 25-year career in retail where I've traveled across the globe. I have worked and inspired thousands of leaders. And in this weekly podcast, I bring to you my retail friends and network conversations that will inspire you and encourage you to further your career in retail or beyond. We talk about leadership lessons learned and tips and tricks that can help you be a successful leader. So get ready to be inspired. And if you're looking for more leadership development, sign up at www.retailu.ca. And I'll see you on a live call soon. All right, we are live. Um, I'm April Sabral. I am the founder of Retail U and the host of this weekly show called The Positive Effect. And today I am bringing on Phil Dubino. I don't want to say your last name right, Ubino. Durbano. I've worked with you for so long and I could never say it. I don't know why. Anyway, <laughs> Phil, welcome to our show. I'm so excited to have you on today. So am I, April. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak about a topic I am super, super passionate about. And I really hope it comes through in this uh, this interview i'm sure it will so before we get started and uh, you know i start asking you a whole ton of questions that i'm really excited to ask you about i'm just going to set us up so if you're joining us for the first time welcome this is a weekly podcast uh where you know i bring on my amazing retail friends and network to talk about really important topics and specifically around the positive effect of leadership in our industry. And I love to talk to positive leaders like Phil. If you're joining us, put your name in the chat, tell us where you're coming from, say hi. And then if there's anything that resonates with you through this, or you have any other questions for me and Phil, just put them in the chat too, because we'll go back and read them afterwards. And then I always say this every week, share, share, share this post, get it out to as many people as you can, because these conversations are golden mentorship moments and you can learn a lot from them and that's the purpose of this conversation so i would say share it with as many people tag some people that you think will find this conversation really interesting so with that i'm going to ask you phil to kind of introduce yourself tell us who you are what you do and then we're going to jump into asking you about your favorite subject which is mindfulness excellent Thank you, April. Um, so I'm the head of uh, people and culture and chief mindfulness officer at Arden. I've had a journey in HR through, uh, I guess I would say about 35 years. And I have been um, very fortunate to work in some very interesting yet challenging industries, the likes of telecommunications, aerospace, and the last 15 plus years in the retail industry. Had great mentors along the way. I've learned many valuable lessons as a leader, and I'm so happy to be here at Arden and to be sharing my learnings and to have been given the playground in which to really, really hone in on my passion, uh, which is uh, all about uh, conscious leadership and bringing mindfulness programs to the workplace. So um, really happy to be here. 
Yeah, you've had such a positive impact on all the people that you've led, worked with. I know I hear amazing stories from people that when I say I know you, they're like, yeah, I got to work with her. <laughs> like I learned so much from her. So I think this is going to be a really powerful conversation. And just my goal of this is to like get as much information out of you so that it can share it with our audience so that they can walk away with hopefully some practical tips because it's a big topic of conversation, mindfulness, you know, meditation coming into the workplace and like well-being, self-care. So how do you define mindfulness in the workplace? So, and I'm gonna I'm gonna refer to some notes once in a while. Yeah. I really want to I really want to make sure I don't miss anything important. Um so basically the way I define mindfulness in the workplace is that it's a mental state. And it's achieved by focusing one's awareness in the present moment. So really calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, where you're, you're at in the present moment, and observing those thoughts, emotions, and feelings without judgment. And when you practice and strengthen disability, so very different mindfulness practices, and you'd be surprised how we actually do and practice mindfulness without even being aware of it sometimes. Mm. It really helps us, helps us to step out of our busy mind right? And bring our best self forward. And this helps us to handle any situation, whether it's in life, or in this case, we're talking about our work life, right? right. So you're able to do that, you really bring your best self forward. So I look at it as a state of mind, it's a state of being, and it's, a, it's all about being more present. So you can react more effectively to what's going on around you. I like what you said about becoming more aware of your emotions and how you're feeling in that moment, because I feel like I grew up in the era of leadership where it was like, don't show your emotions. Don't, you know, like separate them. It doesn't matter if you're liked as a leader, which I don't really necessarily agree with, because I think people have to kind of like you a little bit to want to work for you. So I love that you say that about becoming more aware of your emotions, because I think sometimes we kind of feel like we have to not push that down and then not recognize it. And then when we communicate with people, it may come out in ways that we're not even realizing when we're talking to people, right? And leadership is all around communication. And, you know, I believe communication and how people feel about working for you. So I think what you're saying about mindfulness is being present, becoming more self-aware is going to have an impact on the way that you lead others, right? Absolutely. Because, you know, effective leadership is all about also having very strong EQ and emotional quotient or intelligence. And mindfulness helps you to deal with those emotions more effectively. So, you know, you think about emotional intelligence and you think it's all about expressing your emotions, as, whereas mindfulness helps you to hone in on those emotions and be able to deal with them more effectively. Mm. So it's not about suppressing them. It's about being aware of them then how do you use where you're at more effectively? So once you're more self-aware, you're able to manage that around you a lot more effectively than to just automatically react to a, a situation. Oh, yeah. And I think in the last year and a half, we've probably been through a lot of emotions as leaders because we're dealing with so much ambiguity in what's going on. And that can be difficult for people right? Like we talk about that all the time, ambiguity when you're growing in leadership roles, but it's been a year and a half of it. And I think even, even now going into this holiday, it's still the same way. We don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, becoming more aware and more present is, 
yeah, it's a tool. And I've been doing meditation for a long time, but I'm, I'm certainly not as consistent as I would like to be. And that's why I like mindfulness because mindfulness is like meditation is like a task you kind of have to do. But mindfulness, like you say, is like a state of being, right? Yes. And there are so many mindfulness practices that one can do that's not, it goes beyond meditation. It goes right. way beyond meditation. And so we could talk a little bit more um, about that. But what you said is really key. And tolerance for ambiguity, you know, April, we've had this conversation many times. Forget the pandemic. Just <laughs> everything that's been going on around us. Working in retail is all about having a high tolerance for ambiguity. Yeah. In my experience, you know, having been in retail for the last 15 or so years, when we're hiring people from outside of retail, there's a huge adjustment curve. Yeah. And what I've learned is that the tolerance for ambiguity is key to success because we're always operating in the gray zone. Yeah. And, you know, we need to know what our customer wants before she knows or he knows what she wants. Yeah, that's so true. Right. What's what's led you to I'm really interested and curious, like what led you to pursue this focus? Because you're a HR leader, right? I'm operations. And I, I know traditionally in the past, it's like HR and operations are together, you know, and they have this little kind of like love relationship, let's be real. Yes. And, but so you're not like the traditional HR, you know, I mean, your titles change as well. You're now chief mindfulness officer. Like you're not this traditional HR leader to me. You're like very innovative, very ahead of what a lot of people are doing not your amazing with your own team, the way that you lead them and inspire them to think outside the box. So what's led you to pursue this? Because I'm always interested in that. Like, because, you know, this is something that's just so ahead of what a lot of HR leaders contemplate every day. Right. And you're, and you're so, so true. Um, sorry, I meant to say you're so correct. <laughs> um, so, so for me personally, I've always prioritized personal growth and well-being. That's been very important for me. And I'm also at a stage in my career where, you know, you, you've, you've gone through the journey of leading HR and bringing all the best practices to organizations and learning along the way and growing along the way. But um, I've come to the point and realization that it's all about making a difference in our people's lives. You know, if we can have that leadership impact um, at an individual level, and if the conversation of work transcends the workplace, you know, and makes its way to the dinner table and people are talking about their leaders and their organization in such a positive way, it's so important. So for me, it became about like, how do we, how do we create that in an organization where it's multi-site or 3000 plus employees? How do we bring that to play? And, you know, being a practitioner of mindfulness practices, I really saw that value for our business and, Carry these mindfulness practices into other spheres of our employees' lives is so key. So think about it, April. We have probably 80% of our workforce, let's say for stores, working, you know, peak hours. Yeah. Stores. That's, yeah. that's key. And they're students, most of them. Yeah. So what if, what if we teach our employees how to manage their stress, how to be more present? This helps them with their engagement levels. This helps with how they work with our customers. What if we teach them all this? Imagine those um, employees, part-time employees, for example, going home and then practicing this in their studies. What value does that bring to an organization that you're working in an environment where you're just becoming a better version of yourself? You're growing personally, not just professionally. 
So this became my, my driving force. And when I met with a, a, a external partner that I worked with very closely, Miriam Bikush from the Brain Spa, one of the first things I said to her when was just a simple introduction, uh, let's just get to know each other. And then I just, it just clicked. And I said, do you want to be a pioneer with me in the retail industry? In a, a business in the retail industry where it's not so obvious to be bringing mindfulness practice. You know, yeah. we're high volume value retailer. Um, there's a lot of inventory in our stores that we manage through. How do we bring these practices in a way that are going to help our people personally and professionally and truly that was my- I love it. And you know what? It's interesting because so many times being in operations, you know, a lot of times we'll be like, oh, you know, there's another HR program. I'm going to be real. There's another I know. program. <laughs> it's like they're asking us to do this. Do they not know that we've got like 25 other things to do? We've got, you know, like you said, like inventory, shipments, like hiring and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But You've been able to really integrate it into a fast-paced business in such a, I don't know, practical, easy way for like that people have embraced it. But I know it didn't happen overnight, right? Like nothing happens overnight. Like you you roll a program out and and then you think it's going to, you know, it's just going to stick and that's not. And you said something to me before we got on the show, which I thought was really good, right? Because it doesn't happen overnight. No. No. And I did get that, April, you know, in, uh, in some of the feedback in the early days of, you know, bringing mindfulness practices to the business, I did get that. Well, we don't have time for this. This is just another thing on our checklist. And that's when I realized, okay, that means we have more work to do. Mm. Right. That was an important learning. If if employees are, or leaders are seeing this as just another checkbox, then we need to go back back to the drawing table. Yeah. And we did. And then so how did you I mean, how how did you go back to the drawing table? Like, how did you create like people to em- cultures to embrace this? Because that's a big thing. It's like programs get rolled out. Operations like, mm, you know. <laughs> got a lot going on. So how did you create cultures that can embrace this? Like, what, what did you do? Because I think this is important for other people listening to this, that are thinking about putting a mindful program into the business. You've got a massive store count and employee count, and you've been able to do it. So how did you do that? Well, okay. So let me start by saying, I really didn't know what I was doing until I was doing it. Okay. So I'm, I'm my own student <laughs> and teacher all at the same time. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that you can't bolt mindfulness onto culture. This is not a one-stop shop. You know, we're going to train our people and then we're going to walk away. doesn't work that way. And I think the success uh, that I've experienced was multifold, but it was a learning process along the way. So first of all, you start with an open mind, right? You need to have somebody who's really passionate about this topic in the business. Mm. I mean, if I take take the example of SAP, they have a chief mindfulness officer. There's not many of us in the world. There's not. (laughs) I was like searching on LinkedIn yesterday just to see how many, and there really isn't a lot. No, but this gentleman, you know, it started with a personal experience that he had in his personal life. He saw the value and what it brought to his work life. I talked about this in the the opposite way, right? I said, "Make, make it happen in work and let's see how it affects personal and help our people. It was helping him personally, and then he saw how it would help him on, on, at the work level. Right. And he created um, the interest 
Mm. He created the momentum and he built it up over the years. So it's the same thing. I think you need to find those ambassadors in the business that really believe in this. Now, does it help to have a leader at the top believing in it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but it doesn't have to be. There's a perfect example was, you know, the gentleman at, uh, at SAP. So if you find those practitioners, the ones who truly believe and, um, and you have everyone start bringing them in slowly and you have to meet the business where they're at. You can't go from zero to what, what we created today has been a three-year project right. and we're still building and creating. Mindful, the discussion of mindfulness in our business is a weekly discussion. It's in everything that we do, but it took time and patience and resilience. And you know, when you get the feedback that you don't really want to hear, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we all got that. Yeah. you work with it, right? You yeah. don't let it discourage you. And, um, and that's really important. So in our case, you know, we started with the leadership team. We, we put out some training out there and um, we, we put out training for all the employees at head office. We saw the opportunity to bring this into stores just before holiday. We engaged with the leadership team. And I have to say that the stores leadership team here at our den were, are, were, and will always be phenomenal because they really embrace these practices in our business. So if any of you are listening, thank yeah. you. Thank you. I can echo that 100%. Right? Yes, because yeah. you've seen it, you know, firsthand. Yeah. yeah. So, and we bring mindfulness practices. We really uh, were able to operationalize operationalize them. Yeah. So it's not, a, it, it's not just the training that you learn about it. Like, it's important to learn. It's important to understand. It's important to understand the, the, the benefits, the research behind it. So it brings credibility to the topic. That's important, right? Yeah. Especially for the skeptics. It brings yeah. credibility. But then you start to build on best practices. You start to build on testimonials. And most importantly, when I said operationalizing mindfulness, is all about bringing it into your daily routines. So, for example, we've created what we call mindful moments. And so I have it right here. Oh, this, is such a, this is such a good program. I haven't seen anything like this anywhere in any retailer or I and I talk to a lot of retail leaders but I can honestly say I don't know anybody that's doing anything like this so show us yeah so we have what we call our mindful moment cards and if you see we have like a little whoops I'm not good at this here we go yeah. diagram <laughs> of all the store roles right and we've created mindfulness practices for example I actually put some you know we've created mindfulness practices depending on what role you're in so we explain the practice we explain why is it important and what are the benefits and what are some instances in which you could use it. So, you know, when you have an irate customer, when you're even as simple as when you're folding inventory, how could you create a mindfulness practice out of just folding inventory, for example? So we've made it real for our teams and then we've encouraged them to get involved and create their own mindful moments. And I'm always blown away by some of the feedback that I receive. They, they create jars, what they call positive, positive moments, and they, they draw from it. It doesn't even come from HR, which is wow. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it to come from HR. I don't want to own this. I just want to lead it, but I don't want to own it. I want everyone to own it. And that's what's happening. When you start to build it into your everyday practices mm -hmm. yeah, and you create uh, great moments of recognition, we've had 
what we call mindfulness challenges. So we encourage people to do practices every week. Uh, we've had online meditation uh, made available and we engage with all employees to, to jump on, uh, on those calls. Um, just by making it real in the business and, and leveraging the best practices and sharing those testimonials, when it comes from the people, it has so much more value well, yeah, and what, what, I, what I love about the Mindful Moments program is that, you know, say if I'm like 18 and this is my first job, right? And like, I've never been introduced to mindfulness. It wasn't something I grew up with. And sometimes people feel a little bit like, oh, it's a bit woo-woo, right? Like, I, yeah, it's, like it's a little sure. bit woo-woo and spiritual and like, you know, that kind of, that it can be perceived as that way, like mindfulness meditation. So sometimes people can feel a little bit embarrassed or a little bit uncomfortable or they're not really sure, like, you know, what to do. But I think the program that's in the stores, because it relates to the roles and it relates to things that they're doing specifically, it makes it really kind of, like you said, part of the everyday. It's not something that's separate or something that's out there. It's like part of what we do every day. We just do everything in a mindful way, which like you said, then translates like a ripple going out to their families, their friends, or however they're working with customers, which is just so amazing, like honestly. You know, April, I'm so happy you said that. And I know that you have firsthand experience with our stores team. So it really means a lot that you're sharing that with me and with everyone on this call. Um, you know, my greatest moment, I have to say, and I just, I call it my greatest moment, but it's really our greatest moment. Yeah. And I've shared it to others at our den was when one of my colleagues shared a, um, a post, an online post of, between two customers. And one of them was making reference to what she had observed at a store, not mentioning what store this was. And just sharing with her colleague, um, and it's a customer, right? Sharing with her colleague how she was so impressed. She walked into one of our stores and we were talking about mental health and, um, and mindfulness and how the exchange was happening between the manager and one of the employees. And she had said, you know, that's really impressive. Like this organization is doing that. So her colleague in response to that said, huh, let me guess, uh, Lululemon. And she said, no, actually Arden. Right. And I was so proud of that moment because like I said before, it's not so obvious. And so if we can be successful mm -hmm. at bringing these programs to the business, I really think the sky's the limit for any organization. Mm. Right? You just need to really believe in the impact of uh, mindfulness mm. in our lives, not just in business, in our lives. In our lives. We need it. We've always got like so much going on and there's so much expectations on us. And like you said, retail is full of so much ambiguity and change management and just so much going on all the time that it just makes us like you said, better humans, and we're helping people to be better humans. If you were going to give us some, like, I don't know, two or three practical tips that if you're listening to this and you're thinking this is really interesting and I've been struggling with how to get this into my team or my, you know, it can start with a store manager in their store, a district manager, a regional, an executive. It can be started at so many different levels. Like what's a couple of practical tips that they can take away to get this started? Um, first, I would say... Um, really education is so important because to your point april you know some people think this is very woo woo yeah. <laughs> yeah. like ooh. yeah you know in business um not everyone is ready to embrace mindfulness programs 
And listen, I understand even in our executive, you know, biweekly calls, I've started to bring, you know, uh, mindful practices before we start our calls. And even myself, who's a great practice, you know, pr personal practitioner, yeah. you know, I could feel the energy in the room and not everybody was comfortable and we're just, okay, we can do this. Like, and I was trying to find that exercise that didn't sound too out there that they could yeah. all be made to. So make it relatable, you know, and I mean, it, it, whether you're, it does, you don't have to be a leader of HR to make this come to life in your business, right? right. So bring that stigma needs to be removed, right? Anybody can bring mindfulness practices to a business. You just have to be a believer and you mm. become a believer by educating yourself, read up on it and understand the benefits. And there are so many beautiful testimonials and research. And I mean, research. Yeah. How stress levels are decreased, how work performance is increased, how leadership ability is enhanced, how employee engagement levels are increased because the level of compassion is increased. There's there's so much out there on this topic. So once you start to read and you relate to the literature out there, then look for the opportunities to do the smallest things that make a difference. So I'll give you an example. Like we don't start a meeting without expressing gratitude. Mm. Encouraged expression of gratitude um, as a daily practice. And it becomes, you know, at first it does feel a little awkward, right? But as you do it more and more often, it becomes a natural flow. It becomes part of the natural flow of things. Mm. I think that's really, really important. Um, and like I said before, practicing mindfulness is not just meditation. You know, I, I was trying to look at some of the little the practices that we do. We have what we call the mindful boxes. I'll show you. The mindful boxes? What's that? Yes. I'm so interested. <laughs> Every leader has a mindful box on uh, for their uh, office. Okay. We have them in conference rooms, and we have mindful exercises, right? And so you pull out an exercise, and so before you start a meeting, um, you know, this is, um, we have a, a, an activity that you could do. We read it out. We do it together as a team. This oh. one is on, you know, mindful hearing, for example. Tune into your sense of hearing. Observe the different layers of sound in your environment. Starting from the sounds furthest from you, slowly moving to the closest. Simple things, you know. That is so amazing. Like, it's like, you're like, yeah, you know, just simple things. This is what we do. I love it because it's just become, like you said, part of what you do. But that, that just what you shared, a mindful box with just an activity in it. God, so many people could benefit just from putting something so simple like that into their yes. meeting. And you know what? You don't, you can't push it down. So it's just there. And then one day, one person will go, oh, what's, what's in this box? <laughs> oh, let's do this. It becomes team building. So it's really starting with the small wins. Honestly, you know, you don't have to make this complicated. But one thing for sure is this is not, you'll train the people, you'll educate them, and you'll walk away. Mm, no. No. Okay, so that brings me to my next topic or question is like conscious leadership oh no don't get me started <laughs> we've, we've got you know we've got not to, we're we're already at 25 minutes it's like we've got about another 10 5 10 minutes right to go so conscious leadership because i know that you know there's lots of discussion mindfulness consciousness like which one comes first like what is conscious leadership i know this is a topic you're really passionate about and why is it important 
Well, conscious leadership and mindfulness go hand in hand, but conscious leadership is the overarching umbrella. So I tried to find a definition of conscious leadership because what I've realized over the years is that I've been a conscious leader without knowing I've been a conscious leader. And now I'm trying to define what does that look like? Right. Um, So it's a process by which a leader becomes, operative word, radically responsible, Mm. self-aware, and focuses on building a culture of we rather than me radically radically away you said yeah radically radically responsible responsible, radically responsible whoa that's like hmm right so think about all the times as leaders you know when we do things for ourselves we do things for our business this is about doing things in service of others Mm. and when you do things in service of others everyone benefits yourself, the business, the individual. And so you need, in order for you to do that, because leadership starts from within, you have to cultivate self-awareness and bingo, (laughs) mindfulness is a tool to do that, right? So becoming self-aware, I would say is arguably the single most beneficial thing you can do to up your leadership capability and style. So being a conscious leader translates into speaking with integrity, leading with authenticity, right? Holding yourself more accountable than others. So that's all about really taking a step back. And this is why mindfulness is such an important practice for conscious leadership, because when you're self-aware and when you're practicing mindfulness, you're aware of your emotions and how you're reacting in the moment. And you're able to process that without really taking a step back and process those emotions and feelings without judgment and then refocusing your energy. And this is what makes you a more effective leader. And how many times, April, I mean, you and I have had this conversation so many times, right? How many times, you know, have we talked about the importance of, you know, doing good for, for the greater good. Mm. And, um, you know, I've had so many wonderful experiences and I know we don't have time, so I'm not going to get into all these anecdotal stories. But, you know, it's so important that um, in order to be an effective conscious leader, you have to really listen to yourself speak also, you know. And sometimes we tell ourselves stories. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Like in the moment, we tell ourselves stories. That's why, you know, it's important that when we're more aware, we listen to our words we're using. And we understand yeah. the impact of the language we're using. And so many times I'll tell people, you know, come and see me and they're telling me their story and I'll look at them and, and I'll say, that story, how does that feel? And they'll say, that doesn't feel so good. I go, let's change the story. Let's use different words and tell me that story with a different mindset. Mm. A simple shift like that changes the simple energy. simple shift in perspective can change that energy. And, you know, I listen to some um, stuff every morning when I get up and and it's about, you know, like how you speak, how you show up in the world and what you say. And like human nature is we like to talk about the problems over and over and over again. <laughs> you know, we call somebody, do you know what happened today? This person said this to me today. This is the reality. Like our people that work with us, for us, 
do it when we show up in a certain way. They're telling 10 other people how we spoke to them, what we said, how it affected them, how it made them feel. We're doing it all the time. You know, call my best friend. Oh, you know what happened today? Like, we're always having this conversation about how we feel about situations, conversations, leaders we work for, leaders we work with. So how? So now you're bringing this all back to it starts with us as being a conscious leader. And I'm becoming more aware of that, of how I take things, feel about things, and then like, mm, it doesn't feel good. I'm going to shift it to feeling good because I want more of that. And I want to make sure that I'm being aware of how I speak to others and sharing more compassion because going through what we've been through is heightened everybody's stress levels. And so things that maybe we didn't even know we had issues around have now come all up to the surface, surface, right? So being that more mindful, being more conscious, I just had an, I had an experience the other day where I was like, I was like in my head, I was like, I want to give this person this feedback this way. And I was like, hold on a second, April, be mindful, be conscious. What would Phil say in this situation? And I think, I need to call Phil, you know, like you're always in my mind when I think about like, how do I shift this conversation? And I thought I'm going to show up with compassion. I'm going to share something, how I feel, but also how I, how I want to feel better about it. And I shifted the conversation and it really makes a huge difference. It's key, key April, because, you know, I've said it so many times, even, you know, in individual conversations with, um, with others, when they come and they talk about something that's not working, we have a tendency to always look outwardly. Yes. To the problem. Right. And when employees sometimes come and see me and I'll say, well, we're not going to talk about your boss. <laughs> if you're not getting the results you're looking for, that's a reflection of something that's going on on the inside. We need to focus on you. I always bring it back to the self. Yeah. Because right? you're not we're not responsible for the behaviors of others. We're responsible for how we process that mm. and what we do with what's going on around us. So oh, if we God. always turn our attention back to self and become self-aware and put in practices in place to help leaders do this too, it's inevitable. Everyone will lead differently and mm -hmm. you're going to have a different mindset. You know, when, when something is happening around you, you're going to assume positive intent. One organization really taught me that one. Then <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> assume positive intent. Something as simple as that when you're in the moment, you know, yeah. just positive intent. I mean, no one gets up in the morning thinking, wow, I can't wait to go to work and make a mess of things. Yeah. When I went to Apple, positive, assuming positive intent was a big deal. Going into conversations, assuming positive intent, it was like actually one of the, I think one of their values or something. I remember it being throughout every training that I went to. Yeah. So we're coming up on time. Yes. Oh, I could talk to you all day about this and maybe I'll have to have you back for a part two. <laughs> pleasure. But, but what do you predict will be more important for HR teams than to focus on in the next decade of leadership? You know, I, th I think um, HR leaders really need to shift their focus and become a lot more entrepreneurial in how they see things um, evolving in business. And the whole concept of conscious leadership and uh, mindfulness in the workplace, I think it's just going to become much, much more heightened. And um, I think HR leaders need to understand and appreciate this and look for opportunities to build this capability in their business. Um, to me, that's the magic formula, right? So we can, we can build programs and we can do all kinds of wonderful things, but you know, it comes down to really shifting our focus and for me, April, like one of the most important things uh, for leaders, if I can leave a message before we yeah. sign off, 
is that, you know, as we, as we climb up the corporate ladder, so does our ego. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, that um, is not, does not work in our favor as leaders. And I feel like we need to shift. We wear different lenses as leaders going forward. And if HR practitioners can appreciate this and help their leaders shift their focus, it would be key. So I always say that, you know, instead of leading, start teaching. Mm. Right. You say that. Right. Because there's no ego in teaching. When we're teaching or teachers, they don't go. So it's very rare you're going to see a teacher who has a really, you know, issue, less huge issue with ego. We're there to teach. And if you don't learn, we'll find a different way to teach you. We're going to keep going until we both like you learn and we both grow from that experience. Right. Because it, it takes us out of our comfort zone because we have to find creative ways to get the message across. But we were more patient, we're more resilient, we're more perseverant. And so I really do believe, I mean, when I come to work every day, I don't see Arden as my employer. I see it as my university. I'm a teacher. These are my students. I'm going to learn from them. They're going to learn from me. There's no ego, mm. right? And this came after many, many years of leading HR. So if I could give some advice to, to HR leaders is really shift the focus. It's not about what we do and how you know HR can make a difference is how the leaders can make a difference and how do we help them make a difference and we start it starts with us too shifting our focus oh thank you so much Phil for this conversation you can go back and read all the comments there's a ton of comments in the chat um mm -hmm. afterwards so yeah really good insight so you know what this was this is awesome I hope that um you know lots of you got um, golden nuggets out of this. I know I have. And you are a true example of a conscious leader that practices mindfulness. And I feel very fortunate to get to work with you and know you. And um, yeah, I just think that you are on a, you know, paving the way for people. And it takes courage <laughs> to do that, to step outside of the normal box of things. And, and you know, what you've been able to achieve at Arden, and I'm sure what you'll be able to achieve even beyond that is, you know, you're making an impact and you're making a difference. So I just want to thank you for that. And thank you for this conversation and joining me today. Oh my gosh, April, you, you take me out of my comfort zone. You know how nervous I am about LinkedIn Live. Yeah. And it's my first one. So thank you for helping me step out of my comfort zone. But it was great fun. And our uh, our chemistry and our relationship has always been really, really um, engaging and uh, inspiring. So thank you. Brilliant. So this wraps up another episode of The Positive Effect. If you find this, please, please share it. Tag somebody you know, because this is filled with practical tips on how you can create more mindfulness in your business, which we all know we need. And you'll be able to listen to this on Apple Podcasts and Spotify too. And uh, we'll see you next week on another episode of Positive Effect. Thank you.